If you want to get somebody's attention, just tell them a great story. Hi, this is your host, Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. I'm recording today's show from Palm Springs, California, and we are Zooming with an incredible physician who practices in the great state of Washington. Let's begin with a stunning statistic. According to the Association of American Medical Colleges, female doctors are 40% more likely to leave medicine completely or go to part-time practice within six years of completing their residencies. What is that all about? Today's guest is going to explain why, and she's also going to tell us what she's doing about it. She is the co-founder of Pink Coat MD, and she's the co-author of How to Thrive as a Woman Physician, and the book has just been released. Go out and get it. She's also a physician coach whose specialty is pediatric hematology and oncology. Her name is Dr. Tamara Chang, and this is her story. Tammy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Candy. It's such a treat and an honor. I'm so pleased, and we have so much to talk about. So let's get started. That is a pretty stunning statistic. Why are female docs leaving medicine or cutting back to part-time? That is a big question <laughs> with a big answer. If I had to break it down, I think it's the culture of medicine and the way we practice medicine today, at least in our country. And it's not conducive to the lives that women are leading when they hit the workforce after training because they're in their prime childbearing years, trying to start a family if they haven't already when the kids are young and there's not that support in the workplace for mothers or women in general. Did you experience this kind of exhaustion and frustration that you're talking about there? Yes, I absolutely did. This is why I'm so passionate about the work I get to do every single day now. I was a statistic. I was one of those women. And I was five years out of training, and I very nearly quit practicing medicine. So I, I was one of those women. But you decided to do something about it. And this is the really exciting part of your incredible story. Tell us about the creation of Pink Coat MD. And listeners, check out PinkCoatMD.com. Also check out TammyChangMD.com. Go ahead. That's one of the biggest joys of my life now. My friend and I actually, she often uses the phrase, by the grace of God. And I often feel this way too. We reconnected. We met freshman year orientation at Brown. We went to college and we were in the eight-year medical program together. So we spent eight years at Brown together. Then we lost touch years down the road. She became an adult endocrinologist. I became a pediatric hematology oncology physician. And we lost touch. It was not until five years after we finished all of our training. So we were already in our mid late thirties when we reconnected by chance when she was up in Seattle for a conference. And between the drive, I drove her from the Seattle to the SeaTac airport, 30 minutes in the car. And in that 30 minutes, we had the shared bond. It had been years since we'd seen each other, but we've also known each other more than half our lives. And so we shared our struggles. And it was the first time I'd been able to truly share what I had been going through during that period of my life. And she was able to share that with me. And we realized then that, gosh, if the two of us were struggling, there is no way we were the only ones struggling. Yet it's something we don't talk about much in our medical field. And it was at that moment, actually, as I dropped her off at the airport, we decided we had to do something. We didn't know what it was going to be yet, but she'd actually already been thinking about creating something. We thought maybe we'd even make a podcast. And she was 
thinking it had to have pink in it because we both have loved pink since we were kids. And we both knew that we're, we're quite girly in college and medical school, but it wasn't about girly either too. We also felt that pink embodied joy and freedom and inspiration and femininity and embracing and enjoying and celebrating all of those things. And we wanted that to be part of our name. And we also knew that white coats are the symbolism for physicians, right? So that's where that name came from. And honestly, ever since then, the rest has been history. Her name is Louisa Duran, and she's kind of been your partner in crime in this whole thing. So pinkcoatmd.com. Tell us a little bit about it. Really, the reason why we exist is that our goal is to support the professional and personal success of every single woman physician out there not just in this country, but everywhere in the world. We know when we are supporting women physicians to thrive and do their best work and live their best lives, they make tremendous impacts on those around them, their communities, their families. We know our world is a better place. One of the quotes that I loved the most on the website was, it's time to care for women doctors the way we care for others. And I think that really sums it up, doesn't it? I think so, because... I think also as women, we're raised to be caretakers. We're naturally caring as women, and we give ourselves so much to others. And there's often not a whole lot of space and time left and energy left for ourselves at the end of the day. That's a big struggle I see across the board for women physicians today. Do you think that our society expects doctors to be superhuman? I think there is that perception, whether it's in the public eye Honestly, it exists within medicine too. I actually think that perception that physicians have it all together, they have it all figured out, they're smart, they worked hard, there's a respect for physicians. And yet there's also then the flip side, which is that docs and physicians within the medical community and the culture, we don't feel like we can admit to struggling or to vulnerability. We have to always seem like we have it together. And I actually think that's driven a lot of what we're seeing today in healthcare, especially at this point in the pandemic, it was already brewing prior to the pandemic, but especially now we're seeing healthcare workers across the board quitting and they're burning out and not seeking help. Tammy, you mentioned the pandemic and I would be remiss if we didn't spend some time talking about the effect that the pandemic has had on healthcare workers. And you're right in there in the ranks. Tell us what it's been like for you. I think it's a roller coaster for everyone, for all of us. Right now, we're in the height of Omicron. It is tough right now. It is really day by day, one day at a time. It's hard to be in it because I have close friends who are, are deeply struggling. I have very close friends who are in, work in the emergency rooms, in the ICUs, and the hospitals, and they're just getting through it one day at a time. It can be overwhelming to think about how what can we possibly do to support them all. I'm the medical director of provider wellness for my healthcare system. And so this is the focus of my work. Half the time I'm seeing patients and the other half of the time, my focus is what do we do to care for our workforce and how can we support them? And so that is the struggle right now. I think we're right in the middle of it. You also wrote a book with your friend, Louisa Duran, How to Thrive as a Woman Physician. Just give us some highlights of the book. We've been asked to give a talk at the Women in Medicine Conference that's hosted by Brown each year. The topic was, what wisdom or advice would you give your early career women physician colleague? What advice would you give to a trainee or a medical student or someone just finishing all their training and starting their work as a physician, a full-fledged attending physician? And so we really shared all the wisdom and the hard lessons we've learned in the last 
three, four years since we had our deepest struggles or um, hit our deepest, slowest points. But we've learned a ton in that period of time. And I think many of those key concepts were ones that we had never heard of during our years of training. And it's so important to us to impart some of these concepts to our next generation of women, right? To our colleagues now, and then to those who are wanting to become physicians and who are already in training to become physicians. The very first one is this concept. I feel like we talk about it a lot now, but it's not ingrained, especially in the, in the healthcare field, which is the concept of self-care. And to me, at its very basic level, I think of that as putting on our own oxygen mask first mm. before stopping to care for others. And so, most of us have been on a plane. Most of us have watched those safety videos as the flight is taking off. And the first thing they say is to put your own mask on before helping the young child sitting next to you on the chair. Because if you're incapacitated or not okay, that child is alone, right? That child can't help themselves. And that image is a very striking one and a strong one. And I use it often when I work with women now, just because it helps drive home the point that if you're not okay, we're not able to take care of other people the way we want to. So that's a very first concept. The next one is it's okay to say no. We did not grow up with much of an understanding of what boundaries are or, or could be. I honestly didn't understand this concept of personal boundaries until two, three years ago, very recently in my life. It's not something I'd ever heard of growing up for all those years in my own family or in my upbringing or during my training. And it's not modeled in a way that's certainly what I would want for my own daughter when I look around me in, in healthcare today. Another really important one is the concept of self-compassion. And this is through the work of Kristen Neff and Chris Germer. In its essence, self-compassion is treating ourselves with the same compassion and love and kindness that we do other people. And we know through the work of Dr. Neff and, and Grammer that this is highly associated when we are self-compassionate. It's highly associated with decreased anxiety and depression, with an improved quality of life, and also improved relationships with others. And that is common sense. It makes sense. But it's not a concept that comes intuitively to most of us physicians and definitely not women physicians. We tend to be, as a group, very hard on ourselves. When you look at us as a group, we've all had to be very high achieving. We all were probably A plus students, right? We all were most likely the best in our class in high school. We had to, to get into the college that we had to do really well in to get into medical school. That's also very competitive to get into training, our internship, and then our residency. And then many of us go on to do fellowships, right? So it just continues. There's a certainly in order to achieve all those years, there is a strong, hardworking work ethic. Often women tend to be the hardest on ourselves. The book is called How to Thrive as a Woman Physician. And we're talking to Dr. Tamara Chang about her book. I wonder, Tammy, if we can kind of step back just a little bit, because I'd love to know a little bit about your past. And I believe that our childhood is that foundation where not only are we learning about who we want to be, but we're also getting our cues from those we love. So what was life like in your house and where are you from? I grew up in Portland, Oregon, so I was born here in the United States. Both of my parents immigrated here. My mother from Taipei, Taiwan, and my father from the south part of Taiwan. They actually met in the United States, though, so not in Taiwan. My mother was an opera singer, actually, with the Portland Opera. And my wow. dad, 
Yeah, I grew up at the opera. And actually, I know you're a singer yourself. So. Yeah, but the opera, my <laughs> goodness gracious. You and Mariah Carey, her mother was an opera oh. singer, too. Oh, I don't think I knew that. <laughs> oh, yes. That oh, yes. So what was that like? My goodness. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I was lucky I got to grow up backstage actually for years until my mother retired. She was a um, high soprano. And oh, wow. Yeah, I, I actually also got to be in an opera too. I was in the children's chorus <laughs> for Hansel and Gretel. That must yeah. be hard when your mother is such an incredible singer. Did you feel pressure? My goodness. No, not really. I was just having too much fun. I, that's actually where I met my best friend, Whitney, who's still my best friend to this day. So she's a violinist and I was a pianist. So, oh, no. Um, okay. So yeah. now you're also a pianist. Talk a little bit about music and what that's always meant to you. That's probably my first love. And I think getting to grow up with my mom singing every single day at home and in the car. You know, I actually listened to your podcast, Candy, and you're talking about drinking warm water and all these things. I'm like, my mom did that. <laughs> I remember that stuff. I actually started playing the cello very early on. I think I was four. And then I added the piano at six. And then by the time I was about eight or nine or 10 or somewhere in there, I focused purely on the piano. And I was actually a very serious pianist. I almost became a pianist rather than going to college and medical school. So that was a big part of my life. I practiced a lot of hours every day. I mean, they were on the weekends, I probably practiced seven, eight hours a day. I did a lot. For wow. So where was that crossroad for you? You know, you grow up in a musical family, the daughter of an opera singer, and you're playing that piano eight hours a day. And then here comes a fork in the road. When did you decide you wanted to be a doctor? And what was it about medicine or healing that tugged at your heartstrings? Oh, yeah, I think it really was a tug at the heartstrings. My dad was a physician. He still is. He still hasn't fully retired yet. So I did know that world from him. He's an immunologist in Portland. So I actually grew up for years knowing that medicine existed, obviously. Then it wasn't until high school when I had the opportunity to actually do a research project with a pediatric cardiologist at OHSU. So that's the the medical school in Portland for the state of Oregon and got to spend the summer doing that and also shadowing him and many of his colleagues seeing their patients. And he was a pediatric cardiologist. So I got to see kids together with him. I think that's when it shifted. I also, honestly, at that time, kind of burned out from playing the piano. So that was the turning point for me. Well, when it came to going to college, you got on an airplane and flew all the way to Rhode Island to attend Brown University. And that's a long way from home. Tell us about that experience. For some reason, I had it in my mind growing up on the West Coast, that I had to go as far away as possible to the East Coast to go to college. I just, for some reason, I just was set on that. Wow, <laughs> And then, of course, well, I, then, of course, I spent the next, like, 20 years trying to come back home. So <laughs> once I realized how much I missed home and my parents. <laughs> but yeah, I, oh, what a special experience that was. And I know you're, you're based in the Massachusetts area, so right. I love New England. Oh, my goodness. I fell in love. The moment I saw all the red brick, and I had to wear a pea coat. I was like, okay, I'm moving here. This is the place for me. <laughs> well, you must have loved yeah. Brown an awful lot because you ended up staying and going to medical school there. Tell us a little bit about your experience in medical school. I applied to Brown's eight-year medical program out of high school. So I already knew I was into medical school or had been accepted before I started college. And that opened up a lot of opportunities for me as an undergraduate because I didn't have to major in biology, although I did end up majoring in human biology. But I spent a lot of time playing the piano. I spent a lot of time doing dance. Um, I love music. And I explored a lot of 
different things that I never would have, I think, had I had to apply to medical school. So that was kind of the backdrop of starting medical school. And the other really neat part is that I had a very close-knit cohort of classmates who I knew for eight years. So many of my classmates in medical school, I'd already known for four years in college. And so I had that bond with them. And Louisa was one of those. So it was really special to go through the medical school experience with my friends like that. You know, back in the day, residents would often stay up for 24 hours. How do you make good decisions when you are so sleep deprived? I've always wanted to ask docs that question. (laughs) That is a million dollar question because the reality is I know we don't make good decisions, right? That is historically how medicine has run. And there have been dramatic changes since I was even in training. When I was in residency, the the duty hour restrictions, the very first iteration of it had just come into effect within, I think, a year or two before that. So it's not that long ago. I mean, I'm still kind of, quote unquote, early in my career by medicine standards. And I was one of the first few classes that experienced duty hour restrictions, which essentially meant that residents could not work more than 80 hours a week. And as senior residents, we weren't allowed, we couldn't work more than 30 hours consecutively. But before that, there was no instruction. You have a specialty in pediatric oncology. And boy, Tammy, that's got to be emotionally tough. How do you stay centered? How do you take care of yourself? How do you put the oxygen mask on, Tammy, when you are also (laughs) treating very sick children and very worried parents? I think that is something that every single one of us in medicine already has to find our own way to do. And then in particular, in fields like pediatric oncology, honestly, any field like oncology, it is a special field, pediatric oncology, because we are dealing with families at the most difficult times of their lives. And it is such a privilege. Those of us who go into pediatric oncology in particular, arrive there or end up there. It's really a calling. You know, we, we get there because it means so much to us. It brings us deep meaning. It brings us joy and energy, too, as well, doing this work and supporting parents and families, because we really are there for the whole family, uh, is, is just deeply meaningful for us. And so for me, I have learned, I've had to learn, I'm still learning the hard way of how to take care of myself and put my own oxygen mask on first, because I actually didn't learn that until not too long ago, three, four years ago. We all need somebody who believes in us. That one person who can always tell us the truth, be an objective third party. Who has that person been for you in your life? I think I'm lucky I have multiple people in my life. The two people that really stand out to me, one is my dear friend, Ross, who is my co-fellow from St. Jude, where we did our pediatric hematology oncology fellowship training together. And the other person is Louisa, my pink coat co-founder. They will always be brutally loving and brutally honest with me. I'm so grateful for the two of them in my life. Here's another stunning statistic, Tammy. Right now, the majority of U.S. medical students are female, but they are only 16% of hospital C-suite leaders are women. And that tells me that that leadership funnel is very narrow for women. Why is this? Oh, here again is another million dollar question. I mean, What ends up happening when 40% of women physicians in particular are quitting or going part-time within six years of finishing their training, they are taking themselves out of the running already to to advance into leadership. And so you've only got 60% now of women physicians still in the game. Those are the 60% that are still struggling and don't have necessarily the support, right? And so you've already narrowed your pool. 
very early. And then there's a multitude of factors that we see, some that are obvious and some that are hidden, but we know exist. There absolutely still exists a maternal wall bias in the medical culture. It's it's implicit. It's uh, It happens where there, there's, there are discussions I hear where, oh, well, that person is um, having kids. They, they're, they're probably going to go part-time. They're not going to want that at that position. That's too much work for them. There's no way they can handle that. We get these side comments a lot. They're not overt, but they happen every single day. I'm going to ask you a set of questions, Tammy, that I ask every woman who sits where you are. So you're in the hot seat. So get ready. Okay. okay. What is the best piece of advice you have ever received? And can you pass that along to our listeners? It can be personal or professional. We can be and are the architects of our own lives and that we have that power within us already. We don't need external validation. We don't need someone else to tell us we're ready. We have that within ourselves already. Tammy, what do you wish you knew when you first got started in your field? It's a lot of what we already talked about. Being a physician may be deeply tied to our our identity, but we are human beings first. And so we have to take care of ourselves first before we can take care of others. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I don't have to get around it. I think there's always a way. Where there's a Y with a capital W-H-Y, we will always find a way. And so that might mean going under the obstacle. It might mean going around it. It also might mean going through it. And I'm a big fan of not avoiding things, but just get right in there and get into it because that's how we thrive. That's how we move forward. That's we how we succeed. Well, this question is just for you because you are, whether you know it or not, Tammy, and it's such a pleasure to get to know you today. You are a trailblazer for women in medicine, and it's a big task at hand. So as we come toward the end of our time together, what is your greatest hope for the next generation of female docs? Oh, it comes down to absolutely creating a more, a kinder, more joyful, more compassionate culture of medicine for all of us practicing, especially those of us as women, and to treat ourselves with the same kindness and compassion that I know we all strive and work so hard to give to others. Final question. I believe that our definition of success changes as we experience our lives and that our lives come in chapters. But right now, from where you are, Dr. Tammy Chang, what does success mean to you? You know, to me, it means showing up as the most authentic, courageous, honest, and vulnerable human being I can be, to model that for others, to model the kind of leadership and humanity that I long for from the leaders around us and who lead me and I'm being led by, and to inspire others to be able to do that for themselves. Dr. Tammy Chang, pediatric oncologist, thank you for sharing your story with us on the story behind her success. Thank you. Thank you so much, Candy. And that's the story behind her success for this week. If you know a woman I should interview for the show, reach out and tell me about her. Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. There's also a full library of stories for you to listen to anytime you need a little dose of inspiration. Follow me on Facebook at Candy O'Terry Official and on all other platforms at Candy O'Terry. And whether you're listening on one of our radio affiliates or from your smartphone, We'll have a fresh episode for you next week on the story behind her success. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise.